Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. I'm merely taking some texts from our New Testament which clearly affirm the birth of Christ. Christ has come in the flesh. And we will occupy ourselves this morning with 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And as we come to celebrate the birth, and not merely the birth, but the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, I want to remind us that as I prayed and as this text obviously says, not everyone agrees with this common confession of the church. Not everyone affirms these things. Indeed, if you are aware of anything truly that's happening in our world, you would have those who would respond in such a way as to be even vigorously disagreeing with the truth of what churches all over the world confess at this time of year. Within the first century of the Christian church, and no less in our 21st century context, false teachers were and are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. False teachers promote various heresies and untruths, falsehoods, and it is to deceive people. That's its intent, so that people would not follow the ideas not only of the Christian church, but of the person of the Christian church, Christ himself. And the Apostle John, probably at this time being nearly 90 years old or beyond, uh, coming toward the end of his life, having ministered so many years to the church at Ephesus, is penning, as it were, the last uh, three letters, and of course the book of Revelation as he is on the island of Patmos, and he is wanting the church of Jesus Christ to remain strong, to do what the church must do to continue to proclaim the reality of Jesus Christ having come into the world. And even in John's day, especially, I might say, in John's day, this concept of holding firm, holding fast, holding our confession is something that's very, very near and dear to John's heart. John, of course, the apostle along with his brother and with Peter and that very small band of three men among the twelve who were especially close to the Lord is now coming to the end of his life and he has, in a sense, the responsibility to say that I want you to know and I want you to hold fast to the truth of Jesus Christ. And in 1 John chapter 4, if we were to outline it, it, it's really clear. You have in the first three verses what I might call this morning the litmus test, the litmus test of the Spirit of God. And that litmus test is this, believing and affirming that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh. That is seen so clearly for us in verses 1, 2, 
and 3. The litmus test. You say, well, what is a litmus test? A litmus test, of course, uh, very known and famous among chemists, for example, using litmus paper is a a decisive reality, a a point, a a theory that is proved, some kind of decisive moment that has become known even in our English vocabulary. Uh, We might even use it in politics or in war or in education, Uh, whatever context we might use it, we say that this does or does not pass the litmus test, the the decisive truth, the, the equal sign, as it were. And John says, the litmus test for the church and for every individual believer, and certainly for us during this time of Advent season where we proclaim Jesus Christ, the litmus test is this, that Jesus Christ believing and affirming that He has come into the world. He has come in the flesh. Notice what he says here about the litmus test in verses 1, 2, and 3 of 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This, that spirit that does not confess Jesus as coming from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now while these two affirmations and denials, the one that covers verses 1 to 3 and the one we'll speak about from verses 4, 5, and 6, these nevertheless constitute what must be initially and essentially and continually affirmed and proclaimed by Christians. This is why we do what we do at Christmas. It's not just about holidays. It's not just about tinsel. It's not just about a tree. It's not just about the giving and receiving of gifts. As wonderful as those things are, and as warm and congenial uh, that we can be toward others, even non-Christians, during this spirit of the year, and as much as we see even non-Christians doing some of the same things we do in terms of family traditions and whatnot, the idea is for us as Christians to proclaim, to engage people, of course, certainly non-Christians, about what Christmas truly is, right? That's what we are called to do. We're called to tell people about Christmas, about what it is. And John, in a sense, if you were to ask him, I dare say he would say, if I were celebrating Christmas with you, here's what I would want to say. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. You say, well, that's negative. That's negative. He starts out by stating a prohibition regarding those who attempt to represent who Jesus is. And this is true. I mean, in one sense, you could gather all of the persons in the world and you could say, what do you believe about Jesus the Christ? And you would essentially, even though there would be a wide variation 
uh, gradation and what people might say, it ultimately comes down to this. People believe that Jesus Christ has come into the world as the Bible says he has and as the Bible defines it, or they would deny the truth of what the Bible teaches. It really just comes down to those two things. I believe that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh in this world as the Bible teaches us in the wide variety of ways and the kaleidoscopic uh, dimensions of all that the New Testament teaches us about Jesus Christ coming into this world, including his virgin birth, or I deny what the Bible teaches regarding this. Either I deny it flatly, I deny it categorically, or I think it may have happened, but even the life of Jesus, including his birth, is utterly inconsequential to me. It really comes down to those two things. And what John does is he starts us out by telling his beloved disciples, notice this, beloved, that they must be warned about those who say that they are genuinely from God and those who confess Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh are not. That's why he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Every spirit being the spirit of a person, right? The spirit of a person. Don't believe every person who tells you of their own interpretation or even their categorical denial of Jesus Christ having come into this world. This, of course, means, the very backdrop of his phrase here means that there are denying spirits at work in the world who deny the truth of Jesus coming in the flesh. And they are intent on having you believe something very different than what God himself wants you to believe. This is, this is the classic battle about the good doctrine of Christ and those who would have you believe lies about the person of Christ. So what are we to do? How are, to, how are we to respond? There's a, there's a battle there's a, there's a fight. There's a spiritual warfare going on. And the Apostle John says here in verse 1 that we are to test the spirits. Do you see him saying that there? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, uh, the spirit of a person, but test the spirits. Test the persons to whom you are around, those to whom you are speaking to. Test the spirits to see whether they are from whom? God. That's the test. He's calling upon us to pass a certain test. And it's very, very interesting. The Greek verb which John uses here uh, to, to test means to approve, to examine. And so in one sense, you and I celebrate Christmas for all the reasons that I've mentioned and far more, and maybe the far most important test of all is this, whether or not you and I are going to pass the test when we get into conversations with various spirits, various persons, the spirit of those persons, their, their hearts, their minds, their thinking, the inclination of, of how they judge Jesus Christ. And when we get into conversations with them, we ask them, what do you believe is the truth about Christmas? What do you believe about the truth of Christianity? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh? Do you believe that He is real? Do you believe that he was born of a virgin? 
Do you believe that he had that miraculous conception? Do you believe that he lived a sinless life? Do you believe that he died a sacrificial death? What do you believe about Christ? Because Christ is Christmas, right? I mean, this is the whole point. This is, this is why we, we share this holiday time together. And aren't you glad that it comes around every year? You have the opportunity to talk about the Lord at least once a year, right? Now, we should be doing it far more than we're doing it, but we should at least talk about the Lord under no incredibly extensive circumstances other than saying, what do you think about Christmas? What do you think about Christ? Is, is Christ to you Christmas? If we're celebrating not the Catholic Mass, but Christ Mass, right, Christmas, then we ought to be talking to others about Christ, others in our family, others in our extended family, others who we talk to and have relationships with in our businesses, in our schools, in our government, in our neighborhoods, whatever the context may be, John says that here's what you have to do. You have to test those around you. That's what he says. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. This is a test. In fact, the Apostle Paul even uses that same word, dakemazo, when he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that you and I ought to be tested to see whether we are in the faith. He actually says that. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. There were some Corinthians, there were those who were in the fellowship, and he was talking to them, and because of their lifestyle, undoubtedly, but maybe also because of some who had veered from the faith, veered from this testimony, veered away from the proclamation of Jesus Christ, and he says, examine yourselves, whether or not you are in the faith, the body of revealed truth about who Jesus is. And he says, or do you not know whether Jesus Christ is in you unless you are examined, tested, and you fail the test. This is a major test. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything, the Bible says, including the prophecies made about Jesus Christ. Test everything. These spirits, the the, the ideologies of people, their thinking, their mindset, their worldview is that they want you, and they certainly do themselves, deny the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And the way he describes this is most interesting. Because if you're like me, you're saying, why do you speak in this language like spirits? Why aren't you saying persons? Why aren't you saying human beings? Why aren't you saying men and women? Why are you saying spirits? Because what John is doing is behind the language of spirits, those, those thought patterns of human beings, men and women, behind those thoughts are the thoughts of greater being. And who is that? The devil and his angels. So I think that's why he's talking about spirits here. The spirit of persons who are being energized, who are being influenced, who are being impacted by other spirits, and that is the very spirit of Satan himself, the false one, and his angels. You say, who are his angels? False teachers. 
who are energized by false angels. You say, how do you know that? For look at the next phrase. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yes, false prophets. You say, well, that's still talking about men and women, apparently. False prophets. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But in the context here, he talks about Satan as well, right? And so behind the truth about who Jesus is, is its opposite idea, that is false, but the opposite idea is that there are people in the world who deny the message of Jesus Christ, and the truth is they are being energized by Satan himself, the ultimate false spirit, and his angels, we call them demons, and they are promoting a lie about Christianity, they're promoting the opposite of truth, and they are energizing false prophets in the world. You say, how so? Well, look, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll show you, 1 Timothy chapter 4. You've got to know that there's something that's going on in this world, in this universe that's beyond just human beings. There's a spiritual warfare. According to Ephesians chapter 6, there's a huge warfare. We're not, we're not battling, we're not warring against just flesh and blood, but against principles, principalities, warfare in the heavenly places. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, this is what you and I hear. Look at chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, that's speaking of course of human beings who had once professed such faith, by devoting themselves to deceitful what? Spirits. Okay, now we're getting below the surface, or we might change the metaphor and saying we're actually beginning, beginning to get above the surface in the heavenlies to find out exactly what's happening on a galactic level, on a spiritual level. On a, on a worldview level, on a, on a level that's beyond what you and I can see and sense with our five senses. And we're talking about spiritual warfare, and there are deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Notice that. Teaching, teachings of demons. Now, how do, they, how do they promulgate their doctrine? How do they teach us false things like denying that Jesus has come in the flesh? How do they do that? I mean, demons just don't walk into the coffee shop, right? I mean, even if they did, how would you know they were there? I mean, all we know that's there in the seen world about the unseen world are the people around us, right? That's, that's all we can see. That's, that's a person who has flesh and blood like you and I do. Here's how they do it. Deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, verse 2, through the insincerity of liars, men and women, whose consciences are seared. That's how you do it. That's how you know it. You say, well, that still doesn't help me much. Because even when I hear what they're saying, sometimes what they're saying seems quite plausible. It seems quite legitimate. 
And sometimes I can get myself confused because when they come and when they teach and when they say things, I don't know that a demon is inside of them. I don't know that Satan is anywhere around. I only see the people, and sometimes what the people say seems to have plausibility to it. It seems like it's reasonable. It's certainly rational, and they're certainly smarter than I am. And so what do I do? How do I respond? And this is exactly what the Apostle John is saying here in 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. You, you can't believe every spirit because if you believe every spirit, some of the spirits are telling you what's right and some of the spirits are telling you what's wrong and you can't believe every single one of them because that would be contradictory, right? Some of them who are saying what's right are going to be contradicting some of those who are saying what's wrong and vice versa. And when they do, you can't believe every spirit, but you have to test the spirits. You have to test their doctrine. You have to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, then how do you know? How do you see it? How can you discern? What do you do? Here's what he says. Look at verse 2. By this you know. Now, that's a, that's a great word. Know. To know. To apprehend. To comprehend. To get it right. By this you know the Spirit of God. And this is one of those statements that's so short, so pithy, so right on the mark and it's, and it's so good for us to have these little, short, pithy phrases. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here it is, colon, every spirit, every person, every teaching, every doctrine that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, has come in the flesh is from whom? From God. John's saying in a very short, succinct way, this is how you know. This is how you know. So when someone comes along and you're having that dialogue with them and you're asking them, hey, what do you think the true meaning of Christmas is? And they say, uh, a tree, um, St. Nick, uh, Santa Claus, uh, gifts, presents, tinsel, nutmeg, uh, joy, um, uh, uh, family, uh, get-togethers, uh, football, uh, I don't know. You say, let me tell you, the real meaning, the true idea behind Christmas is really not any of those things. The true meaning behind Christmas is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's what you say. And then you deal with the aftermath. <laughs> because someone might say, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus Christ is real. In fact, Truth be told, I don't even believe that Santa Claus is real. And then you say, well, you're right on the last. You're not right on the first. Because Jesus Christ is real. He was truly someone who came into the world, born of the Virgin Mary, born of woman, Galatians 4.4. Born of woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, so that we might be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And they say, I don't, I just can't buy that. I just, I just don't. Look, you're telling me that Jesus Christ was born of a woman who'd never had any relations with a man and that she was somehow miraculously conceived in, her, in, in the womb, this Jesus, by the Holy Spirit? I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And you say, well, the Holy Spirit is the third member 
of the triune God who confesses to the world that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's what verse 2 says. By this you know the Spirit of God. You can actually know the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit says every spirit, every person, every doctrine, every teaching that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And you know if God is working in their hearts and if it's that person's time of salvation, the Holy Spirit will take the very short, pithy, powerful truth of that phrase, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And maybe you quote that verse to them. Maybe you say to them, let me, let me just quote a verse from you. Maybe you take your Bible out and you show them with their own eyeballs the truth of 1 John 4, 2, and, and you say this is the true meaning of Christmas. And maybe the Spirit of God is working on them. Maybe He's already begun to draw them to Himself. And maybe He's already begun to convict them of their sinfulness. And maybe they've been wanting uh, to find God. And maybe they, in their search for God, are being drawn to Him by this very verse. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be the greatest gift during Christmas? Have somebody come to know Christ through your witness. It would be your greatest gift that you've received, and it certainly would be their eternal gift being received, right? This is, this is why we do Christmas. This is what it's all about. This is the joy of knowing Jesus Christ personally, that you would want to make him known to others personally. You say, well, what's, I mean, what's really going on here? I mean, if these false teachers, if, if the Antichrist, if, if this is uh, true that there are people who don't believe this, what was happening in the first century? Well, here's what was happening. Somehow and in some way, and you'd have to study 1 John in its entirety, but somehow and in some way, there were those who were presenting not a an outright denial of Jesus Christ, not just the idea, I never believe He ever existed, I, I, I combat that truth, I don't believe that's right, I don't believe there was ever a Jesus, I don't believe there was any, ever any, any historical evidence that, that there was Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, maybe it's not that kind of outright denial. Maybe it's something like this, oh, I believe Jesus came, but I don't believe Jesus is 100% fully a human being and 100% fully God himself. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that God somehow manifested himself through a person. Maybe it was Jesus of Nazareth, but he wasn't truly a human being. I, I can't believe that. I can't believe in the God-man. Theologians call that the hypostatic union. I, I don't think that there was a person who was so unique, who was 100% man and 100% God at the same kind. At the same time, I think that's foolishness. I, I deny that. And you know that there were, in the first century, those who came up with very elaborate ideas about Jesus of Nazareth. And some of them actually said, oh, I believe in Jesus. And maybe they would come into the fellowship. And maybe they would begin to start talking to others, maybe on the side, Maybe they'd be asked to, to speak in a context of a small group or, or maybe a, a traveling teacher would show up and say, I have a message to give to the congregation. And there were those in the first century, I'll give you an example of one, the Docetists. The Docetists. 
It's from a particular Greek word that means appearance. That would be one definition, one translation. And these docetists would say something like this, Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He is, is a man in a sense, and I believe that Jesus is God, but in what sense is He a man? Well, it's like this. He has the appearance of a man. He has a spirit within Him. He is divine, but He only appeared as a man, but He wasn't truly a man. That's called the docetist heresy. The docetic heresy was the idea that someone couldn't fathom the truth that the New Testament teaches that Jesus Christ was 100% man, 100% God, that He only came in appearance as a man. He didn't have all of the properties of being a human being as you and I do. That's just one. If you moved yourself into the second century and into the third century of that era, you would find even a kind of theology called Gnosticism, where Jesus couldn't have been a human being simply because all matter is evil. All spirit is good, all matter is evil. And so how could you have God coming to this earth enfleshed as a human being because that would put him in touch with evil because evil is within all matter. And so you have what's called the Gnostic heresy. That's even, by the way, uh, reviving itself. You go into Barnes and Nobles, for example, and you go into the religion section, and you see a lot of books, and you see things like the Gnostic Bible. And you look in there, and they say, ah, we have actually discovered all of the lost books of the Bible. There are books that the 1st century and 2nd century and 3rd century uh, Christians, uh, they wanted to suppress the idea of certain number of books that they didn't agree with, and so they left those books out in the canonization process of what books should appear in our New Testaments and what, which books should be rejected. And we're telling you that there are some Gnostic Gospels, for example, that should be in our Bibles that aren't, and there was this grand conspiracy. Remember the Da Vinci Code movie? Remember those things? It proliferates itself over and over, and it revises itself and recirculates itself, and you and I are seeing even a recirculation of all things angelic. Angelology, the doctrine of angels, Gnostic Gospels, Yes, it's true that the Gnostic Empire is striking back. Yes, it's true. And that's why John says, you better be careful. You better be extremely careful. Because if you deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 100% fully human and 100% fully God, you've denied the reality of who Jesus is truly is. If you don't believe that He is what the New Testament says He is, you've denied the truth that saves your soul. He says it admittedly in the negative. Don't believe every spirit. Test them to see whether they're from God. 
Many false prophets have come out in the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And notice the negativity, verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus, that is all that he is, truly human, truly divine, is not from God. It's not from God. It's from the devil. It's from the devil. You say, boy, that's a strong statement. Notice what he says. This is the spirit of the what? Antichrist. Now, there is an Antichrist with a capital A. There is a person. He's not yet on the scene, so we surmise. But there are Antichrists, right? And you know who are the Antichrists? Here they are. Every single person who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They are Antichrist. And they're all around us. Now they would say, so many of them, oh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not against your religion. I'm not against Christianity or so you promote it. I'm not against those things. And generally speaking, in order to make peace, they want to they connect to some kind of middle ground. Well, I certainly don't believe all that you believe in the way that you have described it. And I certainly don't believe all of those who are out and out denials of the reality of God, the reality that there was a Jesus and he was around and he is a historical person. I don't know what happened to him. doesn't really much matter to me. But I'm going to take the middle position. I'm going to say that maybe there was a person, Jesus, but if you're trying to tell me that he was 100% divine, 100% human, and that if I have to affirm that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and I have to further affirm all that the New Testament teaches about the person, of Christ, you got the wrong fella. You got the wrong guy. I want to take that easy middle row. I want to take that, that middle position that says maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I mean, surely God will be okay with me if I say I'm agnostic on the question. I don't know. Could be, might not be. What does John say? If you know the Spirit of God. If you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. That's why in Romans 8 it says, if someone does not have the Spirit, he is none of Christ's. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not Christ's. You're not His son. You're not His child. You don't know Him. That's why you can't take a middle position. You have to either declare one or the other. Because if you... If you affirm that Jesus has come in the flesh, then you're from God, John says. And you know, that's why I love 1 John. That's why I love John's letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He's just so matter of fact. He's just so black and white. Look, if you believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, you're from God. If you deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, you're not from God. You don't know him. And you know, that just cuts cross grain to our current culture, doesn't it? In our postmodern culture? There'd be those in our postmodern culture who would say this, I didn't even know what those sentences mean. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't think sentences mean anything. No, but they mean something. Here's what they mean. They mean what I want them to mean. You see, we're living in such a day where even language itself is being so questioned that you can't be black and white. 
You can't say, if you know Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're from God. If you deny that, you're not from God because I don't even know who put those sentences together. Who is he? There's no authorial intent to these passages. What did this author really mean? In fact, if we're in a college course, I'm going to ask you this question because it's the only relevant one of all. Is there a grade in this class? I mean, if so, what do I have to do to get that? I'll just put whatever you want me to put on that because I actually need a job. Oh, now we're getting to the practicalities, right? Because if you don't have a resume and you don't do your interview, you're not going to get the job. So there's some objectivity in the world, right? I mean, i got to eat. That's fairly objective. So let John be objective. Let him say what God says. And here's what God says. I, the Spirit of God, tell you that if you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're mine. You're my child. You're my own. I love you. I give you the confession that Jesus Christ is my son and that I, through the Spirit, put him in the womb of Mary and that he was birthed miraculously and that he lived a sinless life and that he died a sacrificial death and that he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's the Christmas story. That's the story. And if you don't believe that, you don't have God. That's, that's my friend, the litmus test. That's it. That's the litmus test. You want to know what the litmus test is of Christianity? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Number two. Number two. This is, this is phenomenal. The, the spirit of the Antichrist is here. He's around. And it's not just the litmus test. It's what I call the listen test. The listen test. Not just litmus test, but the listen test. Look at verse 4. Little children. And I love the fact that the first word of verse 1 of chapter 4 is beloved. The next in our outline of chapter 4, verse 4, is little children. I, I love his tenderness. Beloved, little children, you are from God. How can he say that? Because they are the ones in the church who are saying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Okay? He's identified them. He says, I know who you are because you're confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. I know who you are because that's what you're saying. That's what you would even die for. That's what you believe. That's your common confession. That's your doctrine. And so therefore I can call you little children and I can say you are from God and you have overcome them. Who's the them? False teachers. False teaching. Bad spirits. False spirits. Erring spirits. The Antichrist spirit. That's who he's talking about. You've overcome them. You say, how have I overcome them? Your doctrine. And even more, look at chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes what? The world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our what? Our faith. So, so there's... There's a faith, and it's not just faith in your faith, it's faith in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, and the faith in the person of Jesus Christ has doctrinal content to it, right? 
It's not just, I believe in Jesus, and you'll have some of those people. You'll have some of those people come along, and they say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was, in fact, born into this world. And they'll say, sometimes they'll even use this phrase, I believe in the historical Jesus. But it's actually more than that, isn't it? It's actually more than just believing that Jesus was a historical figure who came into the world. Because there are a lot of people who believe that. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that Jesus Christ came historically into the world. But you have to believe more than that, right? You have to have faith, confidence, trust, reliance upon the truth that not only was there a historical Jesus, but this historical Jesus came from God He came in the person of a man. He died an ignominious death on a cross in order to forgive people their sins. And anyone who would ever believe in Jesus Christ, including his death, including his resurrection from the dead, including his soon coming return to judge the living and the dead, if you believe those things, then you're filling out the doctrinal elements of your faith and you are widening and deepening the idea that there is actual content to believe. And when you believe those things, especially against great opposition, great persecution, when you believe those things, even in the midst of someone taking a knife to your throat and saying, do you believe that? If you do, you die. That's the kind of faith that overcomes the world. That's the kind of faith that overcomes the world. And that's what John is saying. Oh, my little children, I can see that you are from God. You say, now, wait a minute. Are you talking about the church? Are you talking about what happens in the church? I mean, I can understand all these battles and debates outside the church, but the church is supposed to be a haven, right? A haven of rest, a haven of faith. Did you know some of the most severe doctrinal battles and defections happen with people inside the fellowship? You say, show me. Look at 1 John chapter 2. I mean, this is, this is a real battle that's going on. Look at verse 19. This is somebody who's denied that Jesus is the Christ. That's what verse 22 says. So what, what about these people? They were in the fellowship. They were in the congregation. Look at verse 19. They went out, this group, whoever they are, uh, maybe the kind of docetists who believe that Jesus really wasn't truly a human being. He only appeared as such. They went out from us. But they were not what? Of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, they left the fellowship, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see the two groups? Those who remain, those who are the true, those who have the faith, those who have doctrinal content to their belief, But he says, you, but you, verse 20, but you, the true, the real, the genuine, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. You have content to your faith. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Notice he's talking about truth and lies, truth and lies, truth and lies. Verse 22, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, folks, In one sense, it's not that complicated. You believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and all that the New Testament declares about that person, or you don't. 
And don't let anybody in between try to, to tread the middle ground. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's what he's saying. You're from God. You've overcome all of those who deny. And then there's going to be somebody who comes along and says, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are, are you, I mean, you're talking about Satan. Satan is, is more powerful than, than I am. I mean, he's powerful, but I know he's not all-powerful. And he works to deceive, and his mind and his cunning. I mean, look, if there were two people, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and he deceived Eve, who was a perfect being who could have sinned or not sinned, and he deceived her into sinning, into sinning and she didn't have any sin, what hope do I have? I mean, if he, if he comes to me, and he wants to, to argue with me or debate with me in my spirit about sound doctrine versus unsound doctrine, and he gets me confused, and I think that sound doctrine is actually unsound doctrine, and I think that unsound doctrine is actually sound doctrine, and he's going to deceive me, then what hope do I have? Here's your answer. For he, verse 4, middle part, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can I get an amen? Yes, He is more powerful. He's not all-powerful. Yes, He is wiser than you and me, but He's not all-wise like the all-wise God. And yes, He can deceive people, but He can't deceive those who are truly from God. Because greater is He who is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, than He who is in the world. What assurance. What great assurance. Wow. I don't, have to, I don't have to be so concerned about being deceived as long as I hold true to the confession of my faith that greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world because He will hold me fast that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and I will not relent of such truth. And then He turns again. Look at verse 5. They, that's those who went out from us because they were not really of us, they who who are perverting doctrine, they who attempt to draw away people after them for the sake of their doctrine, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world, what? Listens. This is the listen test. I mean, there is a litmus test, and the litmus test is this. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has been virgin-born. That's the litmus test. He's come in the flesh and all that that means and everything around what such doctrine means and there is a listen test and it is this, don't listen to the world. Don't listen to them. It's the world. You say, well, what does the world do? Look at back, back at chapter 2, verse 15. You say, what does it mean, don't listen to the world? Here it is, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Black and white, black and white. Truth and error. And the world is passing away along with its desires and along with all of its false doctrine. But whoever does the will of God abides for a little time. Forever. Forever. This is what he's saying, and he's pounding the truth into their hearts, and he's driving the stake deeper and deeper into their hearts so that they could be firm in their faith. He's screwing the truth into their minds, and what he's saying is, don't listen to the world as the world speaks. Verse 6, we are from God. 
And if you're from God, whoever knows God listens to whom? To the apostles, to John, to apostolic doctrine, to the truth of the New Testament. Look, don't listen to them. They speak from the world. They are of the world. They are part and parcel telling you false things from false doctrines, from false shepherds, demons who are trying to get you to believe the opposite of what you should believe. We are from God. We don't buy their stuff. Whoever knows God listens to us. The apostolic doctrine, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. No wonder they deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. Because they're not from God. And he ends by this, we know that the spirit by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I mean, this is so clear. This is so clear. You say, you mean I'm supposed to say all of this to my neighbor? No, just take a few points. Just take a few sentences. You could probably say it more succinctly than I ever could. If you want to believe in the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of truth, affirm with your friends and neighbors that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and then pray your heart out that they would receive the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, may you continue to teach us, train us, give us sound doctrine. Let us, Lord, be those who are never negating the truth by unsound doctrine or an unsound life. And allow us to proclaim that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In His name we pray. Amen.